How's everybody doing today? My name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomist. So today, uh, before that, uh, remember, join the Discord. Um, I don't think I need to tell you that anymore. It should be in the description below if you're watching in the future. But uh, if not, then it should be in the description of one of my past videos that have been edited. And then also become a patron, please, if you really enjoy what I'm doing. Let me quit my job. Um, I'm getting there. Uh, and I uh, should be able to go part-time soon, so that's good. And follow me on every single social media ever right now. Actually, not right now. Wait until the end of the stream. And then absolutely invade that subscribe button and smash that like button. Nuke it. So uh, the, the algorithm really loves me if you do that. Okay, so let's get right into it. So today we're going to be talking about why monarchy is the best form of government. We're going to be arguing from authority, some of the church fathers and St. Thomas himself, and then also a few of the arguments from reason, which St. Thomas gives, and then also St. Robert Bellarmine gives some good ones. So if you want to read more about it, um, De Regno uh, on Kingship by St. Thomas is a good resource, and then On the Roman Pontiff by St. Robert Bellarmine. That's also, uh, that's also a good resource. There's a chapter in there on kingship that can go into more detail than I can here in this brief presentation. So I made you guys a nice little slideshow so you can follow along. Let me put myself down there. Okay, there we go. So why monarchy is the best form of government and all these typos and stuff, that's all, all me. So... Let me see if I can change myself over to there. No, that's okay. I'll put put it now. There you go. Okay. So uh, first from authorities. So you have Philo, who, although not a church father, is still an important resource when it comes to theology. So Philo says that for many to command is evil. There should be one king. For rule pertains not to citizens and men more than the world and God. And you're going to get this over and over again in these resources that we ought to, um, in forming the best form of, of government, pattern ourselves after God's government of the world. That's a very important theme you'll get through even all the way back to the, um, the Jewish theologians through the church fathers, through the medieval scholastics, and through the even post-Reformation period, you'll get this, that because the we have one Lord, so also should there be one king, because we're patterning our government of kingdoms after God's government of the world. And heaven is not a democracy. Heaven is a monarchy. So then from the Greek fathers, uh, Justin says, the rule of one is truly freed from wars and dissension, and is usually free. And then St. Athanasius says, Truly we have said that a multitude of gods is a nullity of gods. So also necessarily a multitude of princes makes it that there should appear to be prince. However, where there is no prince, their confusion is absolutely born. And then we'll also get it from, um, we'll get these proved from the fact of practice that when you have a multitude of rulers, their confusion reigns because you don't really know who to follow. Uh, a whole bunch of factions and sects form within the government. And I'm sure uh, 
I'm sure none of us have experienced any of that happening in our governments, that there's a multitude of sects fighting one another rather than a unified government towards a common goal. And then you get from the Latin father, St. Cyprian says, for the divine authority, let us borrow from an earthly example. In what way has an alliance of power ever begun with trust or ended without blood? So there you go, because the way in which uh, man naturally works is when you share power among multiple people, then there's fighting for who is number one, because you see like Walmart doesn't have three CEOs. Walmart has one CEO. The United States does not have one president, three presidents. It has one president. You see that even where there are uh, these people that would go against monarchy in, in all practical matters, um, there's always going to be a hierarchy that forms, even if it's through struggle and blood and dissension, which is going to happen within a democratic and uh, shared form of governments. And then St. Jerome says, one emperor, one judge of the province. When Rome was built, she could not have two brothers as kings at the same time. Okay, going on now, St. Thomas. So in De Regno, book one, chapter two, he gives four arguments, and I'm going to give them an entire here. So these are all quotes, by the way. So this question may be considered first from the viewpoint of the purpose of government. The aim of any ruler should be directed towards securing the welfare of that which he undertakes to rule. The duty of the pilot, for instance, is to preserve his ship amidst the perils of the sea and to bring it unharmed to the plot port of safety. Now, the welfare and safety of the multitude formed into a society lies in the preservation of its unity, which is called peace. If this is removed, the benefit of social life is lost. Moreover, a dissenting multitude becomes a burden to itself. The chief concern of the ruler of a multitude, therefore, is to procure the unity of peace. It is not even legitimate for him to deliberate whether he should establish peace in the multitude subject to him, just as a physician does not deliberate whether he should heal the sick man in, cha in charge to him. For no one should deliberate about an end which he is obliged to seek, but only about the means to attain the end. Therefore, the apostle, having commended the unity of the faithful people, says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Thus, the more efficacious a government is in keeping the unity of peace, the more useful it will be. For we call the, that more useful, which leads directly to the end. Now it is more manifest that what is in itself one. Oh, sorry. more useful which leads directly to the end now it is more manifest that what we what is itself one can more efficaciously bring about unity than several just as the more efficacious cause of heat is that which is by its nature hot therefore the rule of one man is more useful than the rule of many and this is pretty self-evident that when um when you have a group of people who who are trying to go towards a certain end and this end is unity and peace it is more efficacious to have one guy pushing towards that end than to have everybody because like it or not in in our fallen world among fallen people everybody has conflicting ends and conflicting uh ways of thinking about going towards that end and then when you have a uh, collection of people trying to go towards that end, there's usually not agreement among those people. So you must have one person that stands above as a ruler. We see this um, naturally arise. Like, for example, if everybody remembers in, in high school, 
when you had a group project and you were trying to go towards the end of completing a good project, there's always that one person within the group that kind of de facto uh, takes takes the lead um, in that project and, and rules the rest. Even it, it just that's just how things naturally happen, even if it's not officially that that person is in charge. Okay. And then in Summa Contra Gentiles, book four, chapter 76. Now, the best form of government is when a people is governed by one, for it is clear that government's end is peace, for peace and unity of the subjects is the end of the governing authority, and unity is more fittingly ensured by one than by many. Therefore, the government of the church is so arranged that one presides over the whole. And then in uh, Summa Theologiae, Prima Pars, uh, Article 103, Question 4, Question 103, Article 4. Now, the best government is the government by one. The reason of this is that government is nothing but the directing of the things governed to the end, which consists in some good. But unity belongs to the idea of goodness, as Boethius proves. From this, that as all things desire good, so, so do they desire unity, without which they would cease to exist. For a thing so far exists as it is one, whence we observe that things resist division so far as they can, and the dissolution of a thing arises from direct therein. So he's arguing for metaphysics right here, because unity in itself is actually one of the transcendentals. It's actually truth, goodness, beauty, and then also unity. And um, unity is, and being also, but unity is um, desired insofar as something has being. And then unity is, is identical with goodness. So in order for something to... <laughs> To have goodness and, and a government to have goodness, there must be unity in this government, which is best achieved clearly by one ruler. Therefore, the intention of a ruler over a multitude is unity or peace. Now, the proper cause of unity is one, for it is clear that several cannot be the cause of unity or concord except so far as they are united. Furthermore, what is one is in itself is more apt and a better cause of unity than several things united. Therefore, a multitude is better governed by one than by several. From this, it follows that the government of the world being the best form of government must be by one. So, for example, if you have a committee coming together to do something, like let's say you have five people and they're all trying to build a car. It is, it is very unlikely that these five people... Um, in their several um, ideas and plans for building the car are going to come together and be able to agree upon and in building this car without are going to be able to have a unified idea for building this car. And if they do just do all what they want, which is what usually happens in government, it's going to be a very sucky car. And, and we see this in, in our democratic forms of government. That when you have these multiple people with their own ideas of what it means to have unity and peace, that you're going to have rule by committee, everybody's going to kind of do their own thing, and the whole thing is going to be disunified and not towards a common goal. But when you have one guy who's in charge, telling everybody what to do, directing them towards that common goal, and forming the whole, you're going to have a unified whole. Because when a certain thing is caused, one cause is better than many causes when it comes to forming a unity. Okay, then this, I actually had slides out of order, so this is back to De Regno. So this is a second argument. Furthermore, it is evident that several persons could by no means preserve the stability of the community if they totally disagreed. For union is necessary among them if they are to rule at all. 
Several men, for instance, could not pull a ship in one direction unless joined together in some fashion. Now, several are said to be united according as they come closer to being one. So one man rules better than several who come near being one. So again, um, when you have these multiple people who are going towards a, a certain end, if you have five people, let's say, and um, for, for an American example, let's say you have like 500 people. <laughs> who are who are trying to push towards a certain end when you have these 500 people the likelihood that they're all going to push towards that common goal and such is almost nothing but when you have one person pushing towards a towards a goal and you have everybody following him as a hierarchy then it is certain um, that with this one person you're going to have him pushing towards that goal of unity and peace Again, whatever is in accord with nature is best, for nature does what is best in everything. Now, every natural governance is governance by one. In the multitude of bodily members, there is one which is the principal mover, namely the heart. And among the powers of the soul, one who presides is chief, namely the reason. Among bees, there is one king bee. And in the whole universe, there is one God, maker and ruler of all. And this is reasonable, for every multitude is derived from unity. Therefore, if artificial things are an imitation of natural things, and a work of art is better according as it attains a closer likeness to what is in nature, it follows that it is best for a human multitude to be ruled by one person. So uh, just look at nature when it comes to how those natural forms of, of um, unities are, are ruled. They're all ruled by one. There's no rule by uh, rule by democracy in nature. You have with uh, with your own intellect. I mean, with your own soul, it's ruled by the reason. You don't. And if you have a disorder where reason's trying to rule and will is trying to rule and senses are trying to rule, then what you have is you have a disordered uh, soul, and that is that is sinful. Okay. Let's go. And then also lastly. This is also evident from experience, for provinces or cities which are not ruled by one person are torn with dissensions and tossed about without peace. I couldn't imagine torn with dissensions and tossed about without peace. That's crazy. I could not imagine a government which would have that. So that the complaint seems to be fulfilled, which the Lord uttered through the prophet. Many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. On the other hand, provinces and cities which are ruled under one king enjoy peace, flourish in justice and delight in prosperity. Hence the Lord by his prophets promised to his people as a great reward that he will give them one head and that one prince will be in the midst of them. And again, this is seen both in uh, civil government and even in ecclesiastical government. When you have, for example, uh, the Presbyterian church, let's just take Presbyterians, for example, how many hundreds of different Presbyterian, and this isn't the old papist argument from 50,000 denominations, but I'm serious. Like how many times does schism happen in a, in a Presbyterian form of government? It happens all the time. But I mean, the other example, I'm not even going to bring up the, the Roman church, but look at uh, an Episcopal form of government in the Anglican communion. The Anglican communion does actually does not have many splits, even when there is um, rulers who are not liked by many of those who they rule in, in the episcopacy like all the people who stayed in the episcopal church until the early 2000s that was almost 30 years where they stayed in it there was still stability and uh and unity even even in those terrible circumstances 
Okay, now from the philosophers. So Plato says, One dominion has been arranged for good laws. The law of these is best, that government in which not many command. And then Aristotle says, A kingdom is the best of these, a republic is the worst. And he's talking about forms of government. Seneca says, The best state of the citizens, citizenry is to be under one just king. And then Plutarch says, If the choice of electing were conceded, one should not choose anything else than the power of one. Then he further says, one method, however, appeared to be left over to safety and quiet if matters would have been brought to the rule of one. Again, the philosophers, basically all, all the good ones at least, ruled that monarchy is the best. And then I even have one from the poets where Homer says, it is not good that there be many, there must be one chief and one king. And then from nature, oh my gosh, my slides are terrible. I'm sorry about that, guys. So many typos. From nature, the creation of the world was from one man, as St. John Chrysostom argues. So you see that with the creation of man, that you have Adam, and then you don't have, apart from him, a second woman created. You don't have a woman created and a man created at once. Rather, you have one head of all mankind, and then from him, almost as procession precedes eve from his rib you have one head you don't have these multitude multitude of different heads and then also all human institutions tends towards the rule of one and this is seen in households you have with with the father being being that one head and you also see it in businesses you always have a ceo you don't you don't have a a uh, multitude of people trying to make all these different decisions that usually just leads to the decay of the business and then even in democracies with all of these democracies they don't they're not um consistent with their own principles they always tend towards the rule of one and you see that in especially an american republic where with the president originally he was to have very little power not to not to really have much power over anything. But now we've tended over the last um, 250 years towards the president taking an almost monarchical role and going into judicial and legislative decisions because all human institutions tends towards the rule of one because that's what's most natural for us. And then even nature shows this forth, as we also saw in St. Thomas. But St. Cyprian says, there is one king for bees, one leader among flocks, and one rule among rams. And then St. Jerome says, cranes follow one by one the order of litter. Okay. And from divine authority, so the government established by God among the Jews, first patriarchs, then Moses and Joshua, then judges, then kings, and then Zerubbabel and the Maccabees. And then we also see it in the new covenant with first our Lord and then St. Peter where God always, when he establishes a form of government, establishes a monarchical form of government. That is very clear. Okay, and then from reason. So when you look at the various properties of a form of government, it always they are always achieved better when it comes to a monarchical rule than when it comes from um, a democratic form of government or an oligarchy or whatever you want to you wanna do your form of government. It is always achieved better by one. We see this from experience very clearly. So the first property of government is order. Monarchy is more monarchy. Monarchy, I'm sorry, is more ordered than democracy because in it there is a hierarchical, hierarchical order of superiors and inferiors. And then the second 
property is acquisition of the proper end. And then we also talked about this before in St. Thomas. So the proper end is unity among the people in peace. This is centered on the fact that all may follow the same end and think the same way. And this is best achieved when all obey the same authority and not conflicting demagogues. And I could not imagine being in a form of government where everybody follows conflicting demagogues. That would be crazy. I couldn't even think of that. So this is proved by experience, as we see in Rome with the various civil wars that occurred once the kings were expelled. And then this is also seen in almost every liberal democracy, very unstable and very few, in very few cases, do you see a liberal democracy in the long term over centuries um, achieving, achieving the proper end of peace. Then you get, it's, it's, it's crazy. You, you get people uh, talking about how amazing America is because we've been the longest democracy in the world, the whole 250 years without a change in the constitution. And it's, and that just shows that uh, you, you see in like Italy, what knows, I think it's like Italy or Greece who have had like 20 different uh, constitutions in the last 50 years or something crazy like that. Because you don't have unity towards the acquisition of that proper end. You will always have dissent among the people. Because in a monarchy, whether you like the king or not, he's the king and, and you follow him. And in that there's peace among the people. So the third property is the strength and power of the people or the state. So the stronger state has peace among the people and all working towards a common end. So, for example, if you have, uh, God forbid, Canada attack America and half of America doesn't want to defend and the other half do and, and everything you really have, uh, which is entirely possible and that would likely happen if, if that did happen, then you have half the people working towards the the common end and the other half not working towards the common end and working against the other half and and that just cuts off the the power that we have in in defending ourselves so um yeah and and with a with a monarchy you're you're full power because everybody's following the the same leader and the same end even if they don't necessarily personally agree upon it so um, this, again, is proved from experience in the history of the world, especially in Rome, who needed to switch to the rule of one in order to establish peace and strength. You see in the, in the early days, really, um, throughout the beginning parts of, of the Roman Empire, that it, it was rule of many, but it, this always naturally tended towards the rule of one when it came to the defense of the empire. And also when it came to the expansion of the empire, it was always just de facto tending towards the rule of one. So the fourth property is stability and long duration. So monarchy is the most stable form of government and allows for factions less. As our Lord says, a kingdom divided against itself cannot prosper. So this is also shown from experience from the long reign of monarchical governments and how they're less given to emergencies and changes of government. You see with monarchies, they last millennia. You see with democracy, they last decades. This is very clear. And then the fifth property is ease of government, which is clearly hindered by the warring factions of democracies. And basically, when it comes to us, they, they can't get anything done. And then from ability. So this is the last argument. So first, not many are able to govern properly. It is easier to find one good man to govern than it is to find many. And second, a king governs throughout his entire life, building the prudence to govern. And then third, when many govern, there are many factions who fight for control. Okay, so I'm going to exit full screen, and there's 21 comments.
So, um, let me see. Okay. Could this be a good argument for the divine authorship of scripture? Dozens of authors create a single work. Yes. Yes. Militant Jamie is here. Just arrived. Question, have you ever read Charles Columbay's The Star-Spangled Crown? I have not. Okay, so going for Jesus is arguing on the basis of 1 Samuel 8. And let me just grab this puppy right here. I should have included objections in this. I'm sorry, guys. That was that was very short-sighted of me. But let's see. So by chance, one will object that we have in the first book of Kings, chapter 8, where the Israelites are reproved by God because they demanded a king. For if God was not pleased to establish a king for their government, how believable is it that generals and judges were established by God with royal power? We respond, someone can be put in charge of the state with supreme power in two ways. First, as king and lord, who depends on no one. The second, that for a king or a primary general, someone is indeed in charge of the whole people, but who nevertheless is himself subject to a king. Therefore, God had in a second manner established the government of the Jews in the time of generals and judges, that he should, without any doubt, be the proper particular king of that people. And nevertheless, because they were men and lacked a visible ruler and one whom they could go and appeal. He placed before them some man as for a king, who by no means depended upon the people who were subject to him, but upon the true king, God alone. Hence to Samuel, they have not cast you off but me, lest I should rule over them. And with the apostle, Moses was faithful in the whole house as a slave. However, the, because the Jews were not content in this state of government, they wished to have a king in that prior manner, who not only should command all as one, but even make generals and judges, and even should possess the whole kingdom as his own, and transmit to his sons and grandsons the inheritance. On that account, they were rightly commanded and castigated by the Lord. Nor did that desire of having their own king so displease God, that he commanded them to apply a rule by many, or to adapt to the spirit of aristocracy. Rather, he designated a king as the best for them, and afterwards saved and protected both their king and their kingdom for a long time until it remained as a duty. Okay, so and I should probably take the take this off to show me. Oh, that's not what I wanted to do. Okay. Yeah, so so basically there's two ways in which somebody could be a king. The first way as being king of himself, and the second way as um sort of designated uh in persona Christi that um they're ruling in the person of Christ, the King of Kings. So um, in the second way, you have even before 1 Samuel 8, throughout the entirety of the people of the Jews and the patriarchs and in the judges and Moses and Joshua, you have you have rule by one, but they ruled in that second way in persona Christi. But in 1 Samuel 8, they wanted it in the first way where they would be a king of themselves and not king um, under the authority of the King of Kings.
So which is the most based earthly monarchy in your opinion? Um, I would say it would be the, uh, the monarchy of the Bishop of Rome. So a goalie for Jesus, there aren't solutions, just trade-offs. Monarchies are always at war too. I would, I would really object to that when, when it comes to especially civil war, you have, uh, you look at, uh, democratic forms of government it feels like they're falling and changing every two or three decades when it comes to monarchies there's such a stability and really the it, it's not from the personal uh, opinions of the people that monarchies are overthrown you really have to be a sucky uh, king in order for the various lower magistrates to overthrow and then replace the king with another king that's and and that's the only really way that it's done, not because a bunch of people change their opinion and then they change and change and change and change and change. Uh, intellectual conservatism uh, has Aquinas de Regno been mentioned? Yes, um, in his book one, chapter two, with his four arguments, and I think uh, it. I mean, it just makes the most sense because you have it from experience uh, in history. You have it from uh, metaphysical uh, unity, because I mean, uh, we pattern our governments after first the government of God, and then also uh, creation, and then also uh, the metaphysical ordering of the entire universe with unity as a transcendental and a good that is to be to be sought. And that's not the way in which a modern would think about goodness. We wouldn't think about goodness after unity and after um, after the same opinion among the people and going towards a common end and, and stuff like this. That's not how we think of goodness. I even saw, um, what was the, what was the thing? I think it was a ad for the Veritas forum or something like that. And, and they said that, uh, the guy speaking and, and up all up on stage thinking that he's, he's saying something which is just mind blowing. And he said, I don't think that the end we should seek is, is unity. I'm not a fascist. I was like, congratulations, dude. You're, you're so conservative going against the opinion of literally all of the philosophers, uh, church fathers, medievals, medieval scholastics, uh, post-Reformation, um, Catholic theologians, literally the entire uh, conservative tradition of, of uh, thinking on jurisprudence. You're, you're just some neoliberal uh, 17th century enlightenment philosopher who goes against everything of nature, of goodness, and of God. Okay. Let me see. Yeah, so basically what the other Paul said to, to, uh, to Jeff. So God was still king in the end. A human monarchy may have been inferior, yet still much more cohesion with God's government than the tyranny of the masses. Yeah, then also what Darth Kilhoon says. So the most peaceful age in Europe was in the age of Catholic monarchy. Most wars fought at the time was exterior threats, but in turn, wars against other Christian realms are rare. Yeah, because I mean, we can we can look back as moderns and scoff and say, look at these these backwards medieval governments with their monarchs and stuff. It was such a bloody time. But if you think about it, like... The entire, all the monarchs of, of Europe, well, not all of them, but a lot of them were going towards the common goal of the Crusades. There was very little wars between them. It would happen occasionally every few centuries. Like with us, I mean, look at the past uh, 150 years 
look at the amount of wars that we have had in Europe between countries. It's been, gosh, uh, I mean, we've had the two major world wars and we've had smaller conflicts between countries. I mean, it's just, we, we can all we want uh, scoff at them, but the, the reality is really that there's never been a less peaceful time in world history than under democratic forms of government. And you guys can keep putting questions in the chat. I'll, I'll keep going. Oh, Byzantine Scotist. Uh, yeah, if you want to hop on, uh, that sounds fine. Can't stay for too long. Probably only another like half hour if, if people keep asking questions. Yeah, I'll put the, put the link in the chat. AJ, I'm older than the country of Ukraine. Yeah, that's a sad reality. I mean, many, many countries in Europe, like a lot of people alive today are older than them. And it just shows the uh, the lack of stability and unity that you get in uh, in non-monarchical forms of government. Oh, Byzantine Scotus joining. Hey. How's it going? Doing well. Yeah, well, I wanted to hop on and help address the biblical objection from 1 Samuel 8. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so... This is often objected. I think our first thing is prima facie. That should seem problematic, given that the messianic line is from the line of David. And the Bible also offers re repeated praises of the house of David. So it seems that if this house of David was inherently unjust to exist, that that would be, present a problem for the larger section of our biblical theology. But if we go to Deuteronomy chapter 17, we start getting a solution here. So hold on, let me flip to the section. Here we go, it says, Deuteronomy 17, uh, 14. When you come to the land which, you're, which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are round about. You may indeed set a king over you, um, him whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you um, who is not your brother. So we actually have here, God tells them, once they come in and possess the land fully, they are able to set a king over themselves. The problem is that they want to set a king over themselves in the period of the judges when they're still fighting wars against these various Canaanite tribes and Philistines and so on in the land. We even see that at the beginning of 1 Samuel, they're fighting a war with the Philistines at the time. God said, once you fully possess the land, then you can come in and have a king and you should put a king over yourself. And he explains the reason why going on here. Only he must not multiply horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not multiply wives for himself, lest, he, lest his heart turn away, nor he, um, shall he greatly multiply for himself silver and gold. When he sets upon the throne of the kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law from that which is in charge of the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of his laws and these statutes and doing them, that his heart might not be lifted up against his brethren, and that he might not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. 
So he tells them there that if, if we have to wait till this time, and it's because otherwise we shall not multiply horses. Horses are primarily an offensive weapon. You use them to go raid and attack someone. And so God is saying, you can't go build this big offensive army. And that's because it's going to make the king violent. He's going to be focused on fighting and attacking people. Rather, kingship is eschatological. They're supposed to reach a inherent peace within the land. And at that point, they could bring in a king because it will be the right time. And then the king will copy out the law for himself and he'll govern based on the law of Moses. And he'll uh, judge rightly then because he'll have wisdom. That's another thing we see, right? The kings, especially Solomon, writes the wisdom literature. And Solomon, at the beginning of um, the book of Kings, um, he prays for God to give him the wisdom to be able to discern between good and evil so that he can deal with the court case like um, the two women who come to him debating over which one of them is their child. That mm -hmm. problem isn't solved in the law of Moses, but you can use prudence and wisdom mm -hmm. to judge in that sort of situation. And you learn that sort of wisdom, first of all, because God has given it to you. Yeah. And secondly, because you've closely studied the law of Moses and you've learned from that the proper principles of moral philosophy. Yeah. And when it comes to uh, prudence of rule, especially that comes from experience, which yeah. in a monarchical form of government, that prudence from, because you know who the next king is going to be. Yeah. It's going to be the the child of the current king. So he is he is trained especially for this position. Yeah. Where in liberal liberal democracies, it's really just whoever is able to garner the the most support from the people. It's really any demagogue can be mm -hmm. can be the ruler of a liberal democracy. And it's only for a span of a few years, so they don't have this time to build that virtue of prudence in order to be able to rule well. Yeah. Um, and on that point, right, one of the things Solomon prays for is the wisdom to be able to discern between good and evil. And we hear in uh, Deuteronomy 139, so this is setting up as Moses is beginning to go into all these speeches about the law. And I think if you map out um, the different sections of Deuteronomy, it matches up with the Ten Commandments. So it's actually a long commentary on the Ten Commandments that opens up with repeating the Ten Commandments. And he says uh, right at the beginning of this, um, that children do not know how to discern between good and evil. So kings can't be like children. What do they have to be like? Well, St. Paul tells us in the book of Hebrews, um, Hebrews 5.14, quote, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish between good and evil. So they're able now to distinguish between good and evil by constant practice, St. Paul says. And the new covenant is when we've been brought into that time. Um, and we even see at the beginning of the whole Bible, Adam and Eve seizing the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, wanting to become a king like God before they were yet prepared for it because they weren't mature. Okay, there's a few other questions here. You could You could help me on them. Yeah, sure. Because... I actually haven't studied this one. Um, does governmental authority come from God or the consent of the governed? So, with the with the reformed with the reformed uh, go, uh, political readings that I've read, they would answer that um, governmental authority comes from God in the consent of the governed. Yeah, that's essentially the. Um position of most of the late scholastics who talk about this. The early scholastics don't talk as much. You'll see some language where they'll say it comes from God, other ones where they seem to say it comes from the people. 
Um, as I'm going through right now on my channel, a series on Suarez talking about this exact issue. Mm. And Suarez essentially says that God establishes through the natural law that there has to be a government, but he doesn't establish who should be that leader because mm. all people are by nature equal. But by nature, we have to establish some sort of leader. He says, even if there wasn't the fall, we still need someone to guide us towards the common good. Yeah, who would be and so Adam. we would still need even a non-coercive government then because we would simply obey them because hierarchy is good because the world is created as a hierarchy. The angels are a hierarchy. Mm. And so we would create uh, we create a hierarchy. So the primary cause of government is God. Uh, the primary efficient cause rather is God. And the secondary efficient cause is the people who come together and form it at that time. Yes. Yeah. And you see it uh, throughout throughout scripture too when when you have a new king being brought forth you have the leaders of the people yeah. who are um who what what are they called um I the can't elders remember. yeah the elders the yeah. elders the and, people and, are coming together and you yeah, see they it actually, with saul they, they come together to confirm it you see it with and, david they come together to confirm it and those yeah. are representatives of the people who they who they rule yeah Okay. And there's actually, even though we might want to complain about some aspects of the American government, I think you can also see a lot of these traditional aspects at play in the American government. So, for example, we don't go directly and vote on the president traditionally. The states appoint some representatives, and the representatives representing their states come together and elect the president. And the original idea is those representatives weren't even going to be elected by the people. They were going to be chosen by the state governments and the state governments themselves were elected by those people qualified enough to vote for them. That's a much, much better system yeah. when it comes and to, because I, I think we forget that um, the end of government isn't necessarily to be the most representative. Yeah. The end of government is the good of the people. And most people in, in this country and most people throughout history do not know what it is to govern, govern even, prudently or to be able to choose a governor. Yeah, who is even Athens didn't have a full voting system. So to choose their leader, they um, would have each of, I think they had about like 30 or so different districts. They would come together and those qualified in those areas would come together and they would vote on a few representatives. All of those names would then be thrown in a basket, basically on rocks, and they would draw out and they would randomly choose who would be the leader for the next few years. And, <laughs> and now you have to ask yourself, right, who would you rather have a randomly selected American or the current president and ask yourself if we've really improved this? <laughs> uh, probably randomly selected American. Yeah. Do you, are you aware of the work of John Courtney Murray? Uh, yes, I am. Actually, I've read some of it. Um, are you? So he was, so to summarize who he was, he was a professor at Georgetown at the Liberal Catholic University in DC. And I, my alma mater is the Catholic University of America, the based uh, good Catholic University in DC. <laughs> and so at um, CUA where I went, there was a professor there named Father John Courtney Murray, not Father, Father um, Fenton. I don't remember his first name. Was that, he was actually Monsignor, Monsignor Fenton. I think it was Joseph Fenton. And so Monsignor Joseph Fenton and Father John Courtney Murray basically had a series of articles debating back and forth whether or not the American system of freedom of religion is itself a good thing and should be endorsed by the Catholic Church. And Father Fenton defended the traditional position, while Father Murray defended that basically the church needs to adopt America's position and the whole world, the whole oh Catholic gosh. Church needs to change that way. Um, okay. And now, to be fair, Murray 
like today he would be considered like an arch arch conservative compared to um like most catholics today <laughs> uh, so like he's still defending things like the common good and stuff like that i think he has some stuff about how like religion should still be extremely influential in the government but his mm -hmm. idea basically was we should convert the american people and then have catholic laws passed because all the voters are catholic rather than having any sort of official establishment of the church okay um, so a goy for jesus says hitler and yeah. stalin were essentially kings so it's hard to chalk off chalk up a ton of wars just a democracy i'm not a huge fan i just think trade-offs aren't given to weight. no no they were not kings they were tyrants and there's yeah. very much and, so a and, sharp um, distinction made between valid kings in the tradition and and uh and tyrants and read uh yeah. de regno in De Regno, St. Thomas goes over the differences between the two. Yeah, and tyrannies are the worst form of government. They're worse than even a corrupted democracy. Because in a corrupted democracy, things are so disordered, you can't get anything done, good or bad, versus in a corrupted uh, monarchy when you have a tyranny, they can do the worst possible things, and they don't have any opposition to what they're doing. I, I think I think with, with, like, in the American mindset, and and uh, a goy for Jesus, uh, I think his name's Jeff, he's he's showing forth the American mindset though. You only really have two options democracy. So a disordered form of government where mm -hmm. you can't get anything done or a, uh, a tyranny where only evil can be done. You don't have this tertium quid of a yeah. Catholic and, monarchy, which seeks the good of the people. Yeah. And something I went into in my discussion um, on Suarez, that you already got to this part in Suarez in my stream, I was talking about how, um, he says that tyranny is only accidental to the idea of government, that government is inherently good, but it can be corrupted into a tyranny. And he said, even if most governments in history are corrupted into tyrannies because of sin, by nature, there would still need to be government and therefore government is essentially good. Okay, so I'm going to deal with Justin and Catholics. We should qualify that Catholic mon monarchy is best. A, yes, we should. We should qualify that Catholic monarchy is the best. But even with the, the wisdom of the pagans, we see that uh, even pagan monarchs are, are a lot better than, um, than even Christian, demo Christian democracies, whatever that means. If you want to pull up Austin's one, I think that's a good one for us to talk about. So if we follow the logic of monarchy to its logical conclusion, that there must be a single leader, does that mean that there should ideally be a ruler for the whole world, like a world emperor? What do you think of that? I think yes, but not everyone is immediately subject to the world emperor. So there was an idea in Christendom before the Holy Roman Emperor that the Roman Emperor over in Constantinople was the emperor of Christendom. So you mm -hmm. see, for example, in St. Bede in his history, the English people refers to the uh, Byzantine emperor as my emperor a number of times in his works. And this was a quite common thing. And once the Holy Roman Empire came about, this was generally referred to because Irene was seen to be as illegitimate. And at the Council of Florence then, they then agreed actually, well, we at this point, we now have two Roman emperors. So we're going to acknowledge your sort of dual emperorship. And they set up two different chairs for the Roman emperor at the Council of Florence and allowed both the Byzantine emperor and the Holy Roman emperor to sit there as Roman emperors. Yeah, um, I think important in this is the idea of a local governance and hierarchy, because even yeah. in like medieval monarchies, if you had a if you had an issue and your most important ruler wasn't necessarily the king, it was your local magistrate, which was over your area or maybe the local uh, governor of, of your certain town or city. These person are these people are much more important than the than the monarch. 
And these yeah. people are the ones that obey the, the monarch. So there's this tiered form of hierarchy is very important. So you're very far removed from yeah. the emperor, the king. And there is also the sense of in the Catholic Church, we have the um, Pope as sort of a final court of appeals to deal mm -hmm. with things. So if we convert the whole world to Catholicism, there's a unifying factor there. And Suarez also talks about this idea of the jus gentium or the law of the nations and that there is in general a commonly recognized international law by all nations historically. Things like that you have to recognize treaties that have been agreed to or that you can't kill an ambassador or things like that. Yeah, okay. So do you support European-like systems of parliamentary, parliamentary monarchy or they're ultimately useless? Yeah, they're pretty much ultimately useless. I, I, I would say I support something like the original Magna Carta and stuff like that, that there should be mm. a fair representation of the lords um, to the people and probably also some of the people as well. Because otherwise, you create unbalance in the system. Um, but I would say that that has to then be subordinated to the monarch. So, for example, in the church, the word church, uh, the Greek word is ekklesia, which is what comes originally for the Athenian word for the assembly, where the people would come together and vote. So actually, in some sense, the church in heaven is democratic because God wants to listen to the prayers of the saints and intercedes on the basis of the prayers of the saints in heaven. And um, Potter Edmund Waldstein has written a good article on this, showing that there is a sense of political participation within the church in heaven, but it's subordinated to the absolute monarchy of God. Uh, within on earth, though, there should probably be some limitations on the king because the king is flawed and sinful, um, like any other human is. But that still should there still should be um, some degree of democratic participation in the, by the church in heaven, even. Okay, so do you know anything about this? Um, A.D. Magoo yeah, asks about how America wanted a monarchy. There was a little bit of slight discussion about making George Washington a monarchy. It was never really serious. Um, there was also, Cringe. I heard some people who suggested they bring the Jacobite line over and make them the kings in America. <laughs> I, think that, I think it was just some random uh, general, though, and I think I doubt that would have ever happened, given that one of the objections in the Declaration of Independence to the king is that the king legalized Catholicism in Quebec, and that was tyrannical. And so oh. I doubt the American people would have accepted um, a Catholic monarchy. Okay, so the, uh, Ivan says this world today is too corrupted by sin and satanic for a monarch. What would you, how would you respond to that one? I would say that I think in general, we have to remember the people in some degree are still the cause of the leader. And we also shouldn't pretend like the leader is from some other planet and they have nothing to do with the people. No, when you have a sinful people, you always have a sinful king. Um, and when and God says in the Bible many times, if you turn and repent, um, I will give you a good king. Probably some, I think some of the most important books for this discussion are the prophets, because the prophets make it very clear over and over again that the type of king you receive is the type of society you have. So I think yeah. in some sense, there isn't even a discussion on this. The question today is, do you want a bad king or a bad monarchy? Because the people are sinful and we don't really have any control anyways. So I would say the answer is we should repent and we should build up the church from this level so that the church can inherit society once ultimately we win because we already can look in the Bible and we know in the end Christ wins. So we should build up the church and we're going to win. Yeah, yeah, so, um, is true. Yes, yes, correct. So when it comes to uh, like John Calvin, there's a famous quote from him that says that um, a sinful ruler or a tyrant is a judgment 
from God to a corrupt people. And that principle is, is very clearly laid out. So that, yeah, that, that's a, that's it's about really all we too can bad say. That and, he, it's really too bad that John Calvin apostatized because he would have been yeah. a great Catholic theologian otherwise. Yeah. And when it comes to, um, especially, uh, I, I think there's an assumption too in this, in, in this objection that these are absolutely unlimited monarchies that we're, that we're putting forth. There is still limitations which are given from Holy Mother Church when it comes to how a monarch can rule and things that a monarch can't do. Monarchs aren't just tyrants who can do as they please. Monarchy, monarchs are still under the Holy Father and then under the rule of God and the rule of Christ as King of Kings. Okay, that looks like that's all the questions we have. I should probably go uh, see my wife and have dinner. Off, Anything could, else you'd like to say? Yeah, I could recommend a few books on the subject. Um, so I'd recommend the first book I'd recommend is Integralism, a Manual of Political Philosophy by um what's his name? By Father Thomas Crean and Dr. Alan Fimister. They discuss um just Catholic political philosophy in general. It's a very good introduction. Uh, I'd recommend um, Before Church and State by Andrew Willard Jones. It's a very good discussion of how monarchy acted in practice under St. Louis IX. And then the last book I'd recommend is Star Spangled Crown by Charles Coulomb. It is quite LARPy, I will admit. But basically the idea is we have a Julius Caesar moment and we end up with a Catholic monarch over... Um, America and what that would look like in practice. And it, it is very interesting him trying to stretch the political imagination a little bit of what that would look like in practice, even if it is quite LARPy, I will admit. Okay. So what's the, the third one I'm putting the links in the, the third link. one is star spangled crown by Charles Coulomb. Star Spangled. Okay. I'm going to put this third one in the description and if you want to buy these books, click these links because that gets me money because I am an Amazon affiliate. I am so. too, but I like, have ne I've never like posted like almost any links from it. I should start trying to use that. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to Amazon affiliates, they don't give you much money, but I mean, yeah. it's like I, a I few bucks a month I, I'll get. I think the only thing I got a few like dollars from someone like bought like a like fan or something like that but they had happened to, they must have clicked through one of my links before they hit checkout so they they give me the money <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think for like 24 hours afterwards you get um you get all their orders just they make yeah <laughs> nice okay so i think that looks like it is all so thank you all for joining we're going on in about an hour right with swan yeah. Sona. so if you guys go to intellectual conservatism uh swan Sona's channel amazing channel subscribe to him uh he's a dear friend i've been on there before if you want to see a discussion about my conversion then also we had a discussion about the development of doctrine he has a really amazing really amazing channel um, if you'd like to check that out, we'll be on in at eight o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time. So about 53 minutes from now to do a post debate review um, about Byzantine Scotus's recent debate uh, with Jimmy Aiken on uh, creationism. So that's all we have. Uh, also, if you guys don't know, I'm sure you all know the Byzantine Scotus by now, but subscribe to his channel as well. So that's all. And God bless. Lord.